Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week, Denise and I are going to be talking about getting the love you want for the holidays. You know, I think when you reach a certain age, it's not so much about things that you want over the holiday. I mean, how many more candles or, I don't know, slippers do you really need under the tree at some point? It's really more about just enjoying the holiday season and learning to love yourself and focus on the love you have around you. But I think that also invites a lot of problems and conflict as well. So we thought we would talk this hour about how to really know what kind of love you need and want, and then how to go out in the world and ask for it. A lot of the research we did for this show kept leading us back to the five love languages, and I thought we could start off there, Denise. Does that sound good with you? It's really good. It's based on a book by Gary Chapman, and he talks about how there are five ways that you can give and receive love. And it's really important to recognize which of the five love languages you have. Now, when this, first, when, this, when this book first came out, I was like, oh, please give me a break. Were you, Denise? I was. And uh, I, I remember looking at it years and years ago because it's from the 90s. It's not a, a new book. And what's interesting is he started this book as a very Christian-based marriage counseling. Well, he realized that it had more application to than rather than just marriage counseling and that as people identify what they're able to, what they need, but also what their partner may need, that's going to help any relationships, whether it's love, whether it's friendship, whether it's family. And his whole premise is that you know your love language, but it's more about knowing your partner's love language so that you can make sure that you're able to meet their needs while you're getting yours. So there's reciprocity with it, with his original, which I love. I do too. And a lot of the writings we need to parlay them into your love language with your in-laws, with your family of origin, with your siblings, with your children, with your friends, not just your partner, which I think is, is a great thing to keep in mind. The five main love languages are receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch. So I think, have you, did you take the quiz? I did. I did take the quiz and it was interesting because it's not what I expected it to be. And I don't, you know how private I am. I don't know if I want to say, ooh, this is how I love. I mean, (laughs) but but I I just, it's eye-opening and the quiz is free. You can Google five love languages quiz and it's going to pop up. It'll walk you through that. There's no obligation. You can even opt out. You don't have to get emails from the site. So it's, it's really cool. It takes five minutes. But it did, you know how I love words. So a, a big part of mine was on affirmation, which makes sense. I, I need conversation. I need um, to have that, that back and forth with people. And I think that's where things get stymied for me is if people aren't, they're not articulating or they're not sharing or they're not, that, that's hard for me. Right. So words of affirmation as a love language goes beyond you look amazing today, right. Denise. It is right. that, but it's also, tell me what you feel about that, or what are you thinking right now? So if you're in a relationship, romantic or not, with someone who's very closed and doesn't share a lot, that's going to be difficult for you, right? Yes, and, and I think for a lot of highly sensitive, empathic people, we want that. We want to feel. We want to know that someone is, is understanding how deeply we feel. Yeah. And, 
to me that comes across with the affirmation. Someone else may get that same feeling if they receive a gift unexpectedly, which is another one of them, or their physical touch. It just, it's really cool to take the quiz. And it, like I said, it only takes a couple minutes. Did well, now they say, it? I did take it. I'll tell my, in just a second, okay. but I want to stay on words of affirmation for a minute. Have you ever been attracted to the strong silent type? Um, yes. I yes, was just I wondering have. because I don't know that about you. I'm not like trying to throw you under the bus here. I just mean, don't you find it weird when you learn these love languages? I mean, when I was taking the quiz, I was like, oh my gosh, my highest two are the opposite of everyone I've ever dated's highest two. Yes. <laughs> And thinking about what, and it's hard, and they also have a couples quiz on there, and they have ones you can do for friends. So it's, there's a lot of different ways. Yes. And I think this would be very empowering for teenagers trying to figure out how to navigate relationships with someone, whether it's right. friendships or, or romantic or whatever. Well, my highest love language was acts of service. If you want to love me, you got to work. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think it's because I really, really, really do believe in that motto, actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. Do not whisper sweet nothings in my ear. I don't want it. You know, I really do. I remember in college, I was dating this guy. You know, when you're mopey dopey and silly at that young age, I was like, whisper sweet nothings in my ear. And I just laughed. It was like a joke. And he whispered sweet nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so for you, if, if you were, um, if someone showed up and said, I'm going to rake your yard for you, that yes. would be an act of service. And you would be like, oh my gosh, this guy really cares. Or this person yes. really cares. Okay. Yes, exactly. Like I mentioned to someone the other week, oh my God, my windshield wipers broke. And I don't even know, do I go to AutoZone? Do I buy, how do I know which ones to get? Do I, I don't know how to put them on my car. And my friend showed up with brand new wipers, put them on my car. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. So acts of service. And I think, you know, just speaking to any man out there listening to this show. Or woman. Is, or woman. That's true. But I'm telling you guys, if you could just vacuum. That's foreplay. <laughs> See, that wouldn't really do it for me. But <laughs> that would, if I came home and my whole house was clean and dinner was on the table, that's it on a stick. Okay. Yeah. I, I like when people show me that they're thinking about me through actions because I don't know. I just think it's so easy to say, I love you. You look great. Or no, that's a pretty dress. What, what does that get me? So I, I like acts of service. It, I think it really shows, but it also makes me think when I was growing up, that's what our love from our parents was based on. Like our parents loved us based on the actions. If we got good grades, if we cleaned our room, and so I wonder if some of our love languages are based on what we were taught as kids. That could be. So what's another one? Another one is receiving gifts. And it's not necessarily a materialistic love language. It just means that a thoughtful gift or, you know, it's just flowers showing that your love is thinking about you throughout their work day or their long week um, can really, really have a huge impact on how you feel loved if you scored high on that. What do you think about that? I do. I had a flash of someone I know, a, a friend, more of an acquaintance than a friend, that that is incredibly, incredibly important to her and feels very hurt and let down if the person that she's with doesn't 
give enough gifts and, and not in like it has to be over the top or this isn't enough, but that's her way of, of receiving, of, of feeling loved. So I have if, to tell you guys, one of the coolest gifts I've ever seen being given was from my dad to my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom is notoriously hard to buy for. Are you guys shocked? <laughs> she returns like 90% of the things you give her. So my dad was always trying to come up with something neat. So for their one of their big anniversaries, I think it was their 30th, he took a, a famous book of love letters. Wait, that's a misplaced modifier. Hold on. A book of famous letters. <laughs> Your English teacher was showing for a minute. (laughs) Like, you know, from um, different kings to queens and different famous, uh, you know, actors to actresses, all these famous people's a book of love letters they had written to each other. And my dad wrote a love letter to my mom about all their years together. And he took it to a book binder in the city and he had him unbind the book and insert my dad's love letter as though oh. it were a part of the book. And so the, the bookbinder printed it with the photographs and everything to match every other letter in that book and rebound it. Wow. It was so cool. And I'll never forget, he gives it to my mom. And she, my mom's not a reader, you know, unless it's like People or Enquire. She doesn't want to read it. So she opens up this book and you can tell she's like, ah, a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And my dad's like, just flip through it. It's It's got some beautiful letters in there. I really think you'll enjoy it. And she's like, oh, honey, I'll look through it later. Let me just get to this other thing. And he's like, no, no, no. It took her forever to finally flip open to that page. And then she was like, oh, my God. Oh, that's incredibly thoughtful. Yeah. All right. Now, the other love language is quality time. And so this is where you need undivided attention from your loved person. And I totally get this. If I'm sitting at a lunch table with someone that I have carved out time to meet with and they're constantly checking their phone or answering their phone, I think that's incredibly rude. But this is where you want to be with a loved person and you don't want to necessarily be trying to talk to them and they're watching the football game or you're trying to talk to them and they're cooking. You want their undivided attention. Well, and I think even undivided is a little, because it can be just sharing space and time and realizing that you're enjoying that together. I don't think it has to be, oh, please pay attention to me kind of a thing. True. uh, But I do agree with you that that's really, really important. That uh, that came up high for me too, is if I'm with people, I want to be with people. And I think that goes for a lot of us is really busy. We're busy. We don't have time to, I almost said a filthy word. Good catch, Denise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I I really feel like that's, does that, is that important to you? Undivided attention? No, quality time. Quality, yes. Quality time is important to me, but not as, I, I need my independence in a relationship. I am just as happy, like if you want to sit and watch a football game all day, I can sit next to you and read a book and be very happy. Yes. And see, I would still see that as quality time. True. I would too. I would uh, too. Okay. So okay. see, that's another part of these is, is you can read it, you can take the quiz, you can read the description, or you can even think about this, oh, my partner does this or I do that. But then you tweak it to make it yours. It's like a jumping off point. You know what one of my pet peeves is though in friendships is when you call someone to talk about something really important going on in your life and they steer the conversation back to themselves. And yes. That, yeah. So I don't know if that falls under that love language. 
but I don't I, know I don't... where that would fit, but I agree with you. That that's and I had a long term friendship years ago, and when I realized that that was always the way it went, so this person would call and dump their bucket they'd call me in the middle all these things and then if I said oh well I'm going and they say oh sorry gotta go now or it was always it always diverted back and at the time I didn't see it and it was a very long French friendship and I think that's painful that's really painful to all of a sudden take off the rose-colored glasses and say wow this really hasn't been a balanced relationship yeah it can be really really hard because they might fill your needs in other ways. They might be really fun or they might be very thoughtful in other areas, but when it comes to emoting with you, they're just not there. And I, I think that can be hard. The other thing I don't like, and I don't know what love language this is, is the fixer. Like if I come to someone with a problem and they're like, well, you just need to, right. or you should have said, oh, that annoys me. All right. And then the last love language is physical touch. This is the person who likes to you know, we're not talking like PDA in the restaurant, but just they like to hold hands. They like to kiss or hug or have someone put their arm around them when they're out sitting, um, you know, in a stadium somewhere or at a party with friends. They show love through physical touch. They like back rubs or massages or a foot rub. That's a way that they show and receive love. Being able to apply these going into the holiday season of if you know that someone is racking their brain to say, oh my gosh, what am I going to get her for a gift? And you can say, it would mean more to me if we could just have uh, you know, a weekend or an afternoon together without any distractions, if that's your love language. Or you know, I would love a spa day and a massage, if that's your love language. Whatever it is, these can be a way to ask for what you need and also help out the person, your friends or your family or your partners to say, oh, um, um, I don't know what to get her or him. So I think this is another important part as we try to shift to figuring out how to ask for what we want and need without feeling needy or dependent or pushy or any of those other negative things that might go with that feeling. Yeah, and I think people get into trouble when they say things to themselves like, he or she should just know what I want. Yes. Because that's not true. Right. And I also think we go through life through our lens of love. So if, for example, mine is acts of service, I'm going to assume everyone knows, oh, when you forget your lunch and I stop everything I'm doing to run it to the school, that's a way of showing you I love you. Yes. That's not true. Or if yours, Denise's words of affirmation, you're going to think that everyone shows love that way. And then if you're dating someone who's not a very wordy person – Right. then you're not going to feel love where that's not, that just might be not the way they show love. Right. So if we go back to why the man wrote the book, his way of right was looking at it was you should figure, you should know your partners, your friend, your family, you should find their love language and direct things in that. Like it's always about helping the other person. And I think we're shifting it a little bit to, yes, it's wonderful to meet someone. If you're with someone who, really okay we'll say acts of service and you're not coming from that place you're going to know okay i if i do something acts of service this person is going to be happy as a little lark but i need them to be able to come back with letting me know that you know having a, a heady conversation or having affirmation that it's okay to feel that way or or whatever that might be so i think it's really great to reach out and be the person 
for your partner, friend, family, but also help them be that person for you. Right. And if you want to find what someone's love language is and without putting this quiz in front of them, just observe how they express love to others. If you have a mother-in-law who's constantly complimenting you or telling you you're doing a great job, then words of affirmation might be her love language. And so writing her a very meaningful card this holiday might be really, really important. Or if you are dating someone who's constantly giving you little gifts, hey, I saw this in the store and you said you were out of this, well, then giving them a lot of little gifts is going to be important for them. Or if you're dating someone who is constantly giving you a neck massage or rubbing your feet at the end of a hard day, then you might want to do the same for them or consider getting them like a massage gift certificate for the holidays. Yes. So do you want to go to our self-love stuff? Sure. When we were preparing for this show, Denise and I were also saying how important it is to look at your self-love language. How do you love yourself? And I think a good way to look at this in terms of the five love languages is to think, how am I giving love to myself? Do I give myself words of affirmation? Do I look in the mirror and say good things to myself or think good thoughts? Do I give myself gifts? Do I have quality time with myself? Do I carve out sacred time just for me? Do I do kind acts for myself? Do I say no to things I don't want to do and yes to things I do want to do? Do I encourage myself through those no's and yeses? Um, you know, physical touch, do, am I gentle with myself? Am I taking care of my body? Am I exercising from a place of punishment or from a place of this is self-care? Am I dressing in a way that makes me feel the best about myself? Do I love my clothes? Do I ever feel like I look good in what I wear? You know, those types of applying those types of questions to your daily life to help you kind of take a self-love inventory. I don't think it's easy to ask for what you want. I really don't. And part of that is maybe in the past we've had people in our lives who weren't able to step up or who were narcissists if, or they were, uh, you know, just so self-consumed, whatever it might be. And I think it's a learning curve. It's also sometimes you just don't even know what the hell you do want. So maybe going to step one is figuring out what do I really want? And and part of that might be, okay, you would never go into an ice cream, you go into an ice cream store and you say, oh my God, I am just, I, I really want that double chocolate fudge and you can taste it and you look at it and you go in there. You don't go in and say, I guess I'll have the lemon sherbet. You, you know you want the chocolate. And that, how do we jump the fence to being able to have that much of a strong conviction about asking for other things we want in our lives? You go to buy a used car and your budget is $10,000. And you go in and the salesperson is saying, oh, that's not, but we'll give you this one for thirteen. Are you going to stick to your budget and what you really want and say, no, I, have, I can't do this? And are you going to walk away? Or are you going to be swayed into doing something you don't want to do? And we talk about boundaries a lot. But I think in asking for what you want and in asking how you need to be loved, sometimes it's building up your own confidence in your position that this is what I want and that's okay. Exactly. And that is okay. I think Sometimes knowing what you don't want can be helpful as well because it can start to carve out and form those boundaries for you. I agree. So I think knowing what you don't want can sometimes be a good starting point to discovering what you do want. 
And that's why I think it's important to spend time on self-reflection and looking back at all relationships, not just romantic, but all your relationships and see what the patterns are. How did they begin? What was it like in the middle? If they did end, how did that ending occur? And start to see what worked and what didn't work, what you liked in that relationship, what you didn't like in that relationship. And that will start to help you navigate to figure out what you do want. Another way to look at this is figuring out how to communicate this. How do you communicate what you really want? So if you're going into something and expecting someone to make you happy, well, there's one of my big pet peeves is because no one can make you feel anything. You can choose to feel, you can choose to react, but no one can make you feel. That's my, we're going back to the wordy thing again. Uh, but if you tell them what you want or need, you're making yourself happy. You're allowing yourself to say, this is what I need and want. So you're owning your part in this and you're not dependent on someone else's reaction for you to feel loved or to feel appreciated. I think that's really, really important. We can't look to anybody to complete us. We have to complete our own damn selves. <laughs> yes, we do. And I think it's okay to just state out there what you want. And I mean that in a literal term, like write out your own Christmas list. Don't make your partner second guess and third guess him or herself, you know, write out what it is you would like to receive. Even if it's, I would like you to donate to charity in my name. It doesn't matter. Or if you're like me, I'm not a big fan of receiving gifts around the holidays. It, it feels like a big, chaotic, stressful exchange of money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Does it ever feel that way to you? Yes. Nice. Especially when we, I don't know, it just, it gets to be too much. I like to focus on my children and I'll get a gift for like, you know, two or three friends and my sisters. That's it. But that's just me. I'm just not a big gift person. It's not my love language at all. So when I say I don't want anything, I really mean that. I don't like those passive aggressive people who are like, oh, I don't want anything. Don't get me anything. And then you don't and they get their feelings hurt. So mean what you say, say what you mean, but tell that person that's involved with you in your life really and truly what you want and what you need, whether it's a physical gift or whether it's an emotional act or a word. But I think being able to communicate that is vital, especially for the empath. Yes. And to stop asking yourself if you deserve what you want. And that's that slippery slope of, I would really love this, but, you know, the self-worth or is it too much money or is it too much time or that, that's a huge hurdle. That's a really big hurdle to, to accept that I deserve this as much. So if you would do something for someone else and do it from a place of heart and love and compassion figuring out how to let someone else do that for you. Because as empaths, I think a lot of us, we are incredible at giving. We open our hearts. We'll do anything to make other people feel better. But when it comes to receiving, we kind of don't have the same skill set with that. Yeah. If you could could put this into a visual, imagine a line, and, and you're all waiting in line to get love. The empath is the one that says, oh, you can get in front of me. I'm fine. (laughs) you want to stand up and claim your right to love, but you want to do so in a clear and concrete way. Because especially around the holidays, this is not the time to be squishy-wishy, passive-aggressive. It's just this is the time to assert your needs. 
but it's also the time to compromise. I can't tell you how many readings I get around this time. Can you please help me navigate my relationship with my daughter-in-law, with my father-in-law, whatever, because they're insisting the holidays happen at their house, but they've always been at my family's house for three generations and I'm not changing it. I just, I really feel like there has to be this beautiful balance of stating your needs, but also being open to compromise your needs, especially during this time of heightened emotions and memories and tradition and expectations. And if someone isn't able to meet your needs, find a way to deal with that on your own. If you know that you can ask someone in your life, I would really love if, fill in the blank, and repeatedly they have not been able to fulfill that or honor that or respect that, it's a setup to go into the holidays thinking this will be the year that that person will know that or will do this or so just just that comes into the self-care as well if you're expecting someone to suddenly you you share with them it means the world to me if you could do this or if we could share that or whatever however it works for you and that person isn't able to to fulfill that or to honor that that's really important to be aware of yeah i think so too you know, in my faith, in the Catholic faith, before you get married in the church, you have to take like a hundred question test. I mean, it might be more than that. It's a really big test. And each partner has to take it. You have to go away for this weekend. I think it's called Engaged Encounter. And you take this test. And when they figure out the results, you have to meet with your priest. And he sits down and he says, okay, you guys scored very compatible in these areas not so compatible in these areas. So let's focus on those and talk about that. And it's such a helpful tool. I really wish that more people or religions or organizations would start to mandate this. I know there's one state, it might be Louisiana, I could be wrong, it's a southern state that has mandated every uh, couple getting married before they apply for their marriage license has to take a quiz that's like that. Well, think about everything else we do in life. You want to get your driver's license. You have to go through a lot of hurdles in order to get that. You want to become a voter, a registered voter. You have to go through a lot of hurdles for that. But if you want to link your life in every way to another person's, this every state in America is like, here you go. Pay $30. Here's your license. Good luck to you. I think it's a good idea to say, well, let's, let's talk about this. Like in this engaged encounter, I remember they asked us, how will you discipline your children? How will you talk to your partner about bills? What will you do if, you know, one family wants to spend Thanksgiving at your house, but you have planned to spend it at his house? What will you do if the in-laws don't get along? How are you going to handle where the children are educated? I mean, stuff where when you're in love and silly, stupid, gazing into each other's eyes, you're not thinking, what am I going to do if it's suddenly my job to do the laundry and you have no jobs? How are we going to handle that? If you can have someone who's an equal partner going into that and not just saying what they think they're supposed to say or what will keep it, but you, you nailed it, is when people are to that, a lot of people, not everyone, to that point where they're ready to marry someone, they're so in love that they're going to overlook a lot of those things. They're going to say, oh, well, we'll figure it out. You know, love's the answer. We'll be okay. To have that in front of you is a great tool. 
Yeah, I do too. And I think when we engage in any, I mean, at my age now, if someone approaches me to be my friend, I think really carefully about that before I just say, sure, let's meet for lunch. Are you like that? I'm so damn busy that I'm very selective about my social time. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And I just feel like, not that I'm going to give them like an engaged encounter test before they can be my friend. (laughs) But I just do think we need to go more mindfully through our life and think about the huge emotional energy we are interacting and braiding our energy with so often without really even thinking about the consequences. I mean, especially the young people, they're just swiping left and right, and they're not necessarily thinking, what energy am I bringing into my life? And I think you can't invite love, friendship, relationships into your life without fully knowing yourself and what you truly want and need in yourself, from yourself, and then in other people and from other people. And I want to add to that and not losing yourself. So you may go into a situation feeling strong, feeling confident, feeling this is who I am. And as time wears off, you start to say, huh, this, I don't feel quite so much like myself anymore. That can be a red flag to kind of take a step back and look at the dynamics of, of any relationship. Yeah, I agree. Why do you think so many people are afraid to ask for what they want in, in relationships? I think that they don't have any practice or they've been in situations where that hasn't been an option or they've been worn down emotionally, physically, or spiritually in relationships. I think a lot of people are very fragile right now emotionally and are afraid to uh, open their hearts out of fear of being hurt. I think the whole, this is, I'm on a soapbox here, but I, I really believe this, that Social media is a wonderful thing, but it is, leaves a sense of vulnerability and exposure that some people may have a difficult time with. And I also think it putting yourself out there to say, this is what I really need. This is my need, and this is how I need to have it fulfilled. But if you use I feel statements, and a lot of us do, I feel better when, or I feel statements, or owning it. I feel overwhelmed and could really, it would really help me out if, I mean, just, just being able to own it, but also put it out there in a way that's hard. It's really, really hard to be vulnerable. And I think especially in these times. I will often do that in letter format. That helps me a lot. When I'm feeling overwhelmed or unheard or unloved in a situation, I will write a letter to that person. I don't think I've ever sent them or even printed them. But just typing it out or writing it out is incredibly helpful. And then it at least gives me the information I need because if I'm, it is vulnerable to confront someone and say, I'm not getting the love I need in this relationship. It's very scary. But if I write it all down first, and sometimes I'll like even role play it with a friend, you know, I'll just say, okay, here's what I need to say. And just pretend you're this person and say it back and say back like what you think they'd say then it helps me to prepare myself. Otherwise, I can get kind of swept up into um, either projection or whatever it is that they're going to throw at me and it makes me defensive or I'll quiet down. But writing it all out so that you have your facts and your, your needs written down, it kind of stamps it in your memory and I think it helps it easy, it makes it easier for you to be able to say, here's what I'm feeling. And then that old adage is so, so true. 
If you are talking to someone about not having your needs met, using I statements instead of you statements is truly crucial. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying you never and you always and when you did this the other day and when you didn't do that, it, I don't care if you're talking to Santa Claus. It puts them on the defensive. But if you say when you forgot to blah, 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 I really felt da-da-da or I feel like I need X, Y, and Z. And this is why I feel I need this. If you just focus on those I statements, it's going to diffuse any bubbling situation and turn a, what could be a confrontation into a conversation. If you need to ask for something or you, and what I thought about is when my sons were younger and I would say, would you please do the dishes? And the dishes wouldn't get done. And then I would get annoyed and the dishes would still be there. And I would either do the dishes or it would be, you know, the things you do with, with teenage children. So then I went into this, this motive because I was a special ed teacher so many years. And, you know, if you have to write an IEP, you have to be very specific. It has to be a measurable goal. It has to be time bound. And if you apply that to what you're asking someone for, so go back to the dishes thing, would you be willing to do the dishes tonight before you go to bed? Or can, can we set it up that you'll do the dishes on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and I'll do them on Thursdays and Fridays, but have it measurable, have it be something that allows the other person to succeed rather than, well, damn it, I knew you wouldn't do the stupid dishes. Because I think that that's, that's that fine line that we, we step over so easily because we ask for our needs and then they're not met. That's an excellent point. And it's better to just ask for your needs and not necessarily worry about the consequences because either way, you're going to be better off. I had a really good friend when my kids were young and I was always the one coming up with ideas for us and the kids to do stuff together. And I was also the one that was always hosting the playdates. And that was fine. But after a couple of years, it got really annoying and I started to kind of passive aggressively resent it. And I would say things like, hey, after, you know, we go here, can we run by your house? I'd love to see the new rug you just bought. Oh, maybe later I'll send you a picture. So finally one day I just said to her, it really kind of hurts my feelings that we're always coming to my house. It's just, you know, a lot of extra stress to have all the kids here and the pets and everything. And it would just be so nice if once in a while we could go to your house. And she got kind of perturbed at me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand it. And she just didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks. And I was like, okay, I was sad about it, but I was still happy that I had found the courage and confidence to say my piece. And then finally she called me and said, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. I just get really, really stressed when I have people over. And just knowing that, I, I didn't care if she came over every day for forever. And we were totally fine and back to normal. I just needed to know that there was a reason for that and that I wasn't just being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it might feel scary to confront someone with your needs, but the result of that is always going to be better than swallowing that down again and again and again. Another really good example, like that empowered you. That right. empowered you to stand up and to feel better. And that goes back to what you said about the I, if you're coming from an I statement place, you're owning your power and standing in your strength. Whereas if you're deflecting it to you did or you don't or whatever, you're putting yourself in a victim position, which is not empowering in any way, shape or form. 
Um, no. And when you get in that mode, it ekes out in little annoying ways. At least yes. it does for me. Yes. And I, I want to just throw the disclaimer in because then they're done that and have the t-shirt. If you've had to be solely responsible for so much and you've been let down by other people, we're asking you to climb Mount Everest right now and asking for help. And let's just validate the hell out of that. Is right. that if you haven't had anyone that's had your back or you've been let down repeatedly, start with something small. And that might be as silly as deciding that you want to do something for yourself just for you. You don't have to have even anyone. Start with you, not with anyone else, and do something special, something silly. That's one of the things I do on my birthday every year now is I buy myself some little tiny, like a, a couple years ago, I bought a little malachite stone. And every time I look at that, it's like, okay, I mattered enough to do this for myself and didn't wait for someone else to do it for me. Because if you've been let down, you may need to start at that level. I, I agree. It can be really, really small steps. Okay. But the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that, again, back to the words, if... If you have someone, a person in your life, your kids, a partner, a friend, and you know you come in, the, you're starting to make dinner, whatever, and they immediately go sit in front of the TV and don't say anything, and you find yourself getting annoyed that, uh, and, and you might say, can't you just talk to me for a minute, or I'd like to hear how your day was, and before you get distracted, if you reword that, because words are so, so powerful of, can we sit down and talk for a few minutes? I'd love to hear about your day and tell you about mine before we have to get on with the evening or before, so that I'll feel more connected or that those, how you word things or how you present things with asking to get your need met are, are it's huge. Oh, that reminds me of hug time. I remember when I was first, <laughs> when I was first married, Mike's love language is physical touch shockingly i think so many men's that's their love language but that was his favorite thing to do when he came home from work was to just hug mm -hmm. i'm not a hugger are you a hugger i'm a hugger i yeah. thought you would be <laughs> i don't like and like you know when you hug someone and they hug you a little too long yes i don't like that oh i have a good friend she will hug me for like 45 seconds and I'm done after 15 okay. seconds it makes me so uncomfortable what I don't like if it's, it's an acquaintance or someone who gives you a hug and then they start like rocking back and forth and oh like, yeah oh, don't like that <laughs> oh, I'm like please we're good okay our heart centers have touched whatever you're trying to get at I don't know but I'm done this is awkward oh. so we just compromised and 15 minutes that when he would come home, we would have hug time. And it was really awkward for like, I don't know, five years because I'm not a toucher. No one in my family touches. We don't hold hands. My mother never rubbed my back when I was sick or anything maternal, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like I just never had that. So it was really awkward. Having children definitely helps because all I wanted to do was hug them and hold them and hold their little hands all the time. But in the beginning, I really had to compromise with that. And I, and I think that's why I was always going back in this conversation to, to compromise. You've got to compromise back and forth, back and forth, and navigate each of everyone's different love languages constantly. Like one of my sister's love languages is definitely words of affirmation. And she likes to touch base every single day. That's very hard for me. I don't like to talk on the phone. 
but I've learned to compromise and check in. That is very cute about hug time. That's that's adorable, actually, because I can just almost see you grimacing like, oh, damn it, it's hug time. It's hug time. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It's, it's definitely um, an issue with me. I definitely need to work on it. I'm not like that with my kids. I'm not like that with my pets. I always, like right now, Charlie's on my lap. I'm not, you can probably hear him snoring, but I am with friends and romantic relationships that whole, and like if I see PDA when I'm out, I don't like that. When, when I was at the conference, and this just tickled me, there were, we were at the demonstration. Uh, Tony Stockwell and Joe Shear were doing a, a demonstration one evening. And there, were, were, there was a woman in front of, I was sitting with these two other people, and there was a woman in front of us who was being quite affectionate with her partner, and they were chatting and stuff. And one of the ladies sitting next to me kept kicking the chair. This is not appropriate in a church. You two need to stop it. And I was trying not to laugh, but it, I could see that she was so visibly upset that they were wow. being disrespectful in the church. Oh, wow. No, I, I don't get visibly upset. Or I mean, if you want to do it, that's fine. I just... I don't know. Doesn't sometimes it seems phony to me. Like they're trying too hard to show the whole world how happy they are. And I was always raised to believe if you've truly got it, you don't need to brag about it, whatever that is. Okay. Well, my perspective is I worked in a public high school for a long, long time. And my answer to that, and this is probably not professionally, I said, do I need to get the hose? And they would just (laughs) laugh and they'd go in separate with, oh, Miss Carell. But it's true. <laughs> There's a time and a place. Yeah, there really is. But recognizing that, you know, some like you might be in a relationship with someone who needs that. Yeah. I do think that needs to be validated and compromised. So maybe you could oh, sit on the same side of the booth. That kind of annoys me too. <laughs> but, you know, hey, if that's what your partner needs, then maybe you could do mm-hmm. that. And in lieu of making out at the table. Right. Or reach out and touch their arm. Right. One of my favorite scenes about getting the love you want is from The Mirror Has Two Faces with um, Barbara. Oh, my gosh. Who's the famous singer? Streisand? Yes, thank you. Barbara Streisand and, and Harrison Ford. And she orders all these complicated things off the menu. And she always says, I just want to be with someone who knows exactly how I take my salad. Oh. And later on she's eating lunch with uh, or dinner with Harrison Ford and he orders for her and it's exactly how she orders her complicated salad. I just think it's so cute because it is sometimes those small things that make you go, oh, you get me. Okay. So what would that fall under in the love languages? Because if someone knows how I take my coffee, that means the world to me. To me, that's acts of service. Okay. Because I had that high too. In the te- but that means a lot to me that someone, because I see that as paying attention to this is who you are. Yes. And this is what's important to you. Even if it is just yeah. a cup of coffee or a salad at a restaurant, it's a part of you and it's a part of what matters to you. But also not getting annoyed if someone doesn't remember. If it, but if that's a big deal to you that they do, and, and she was asking for what she needed. Right. Yeah. She said that many times. It's a good movie. Have you seen it? No. Oh, you'd really like it. I'll have really to check like it, it out. So moving on to getting the love you want. I wanted to also say, I get a lot of reading requests from people saying, is it my destiny to be alone? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anyone's destiny to be alone. Do you? I don't, but I also don't think that it's a horrible thing. 
to get to know yourself through being alone. I agree. But I, again, it's balance. Yes. You have to get comfortable with yourself. I call it the turtle shell time. You know, that's fine. Tuck in, figure out who you are or the hermit time if you want to use the tarot. But there has to be that realization of I'm going to come out of this alone time and go out into the world. Because as humans, we are social people. You know, three years ago, I got my daughter a hedgehog. And if anyone wants a hedgehog, please email me. (laughs) (laughs) So this hedgehog sits alone in his cage all the time. And it bothers me. Like I will lay in bed at night and I'll hear him on his wheel upstairs. And I, I feel so bad for him. He is alone in that. It's a big cage, but he's still alone. So all the time. I mean, I even bought a special tiny little blow-up pool So, because he poops all the time. And I'll, I'll take that little blow-up pool and I'll put it in the yard. And when I'm washing his cage every week, we'll put him in there just so he can touch the grass and then be in the safe pool area and have the sun on him. Every time we touch him, though, he will spike his, his quills or bite us. He mm-hmm. does not want to be with anyone. He loves to be alone. Yeah, they're solitary. Very solitary. In De- I think it's in Denmark, maybe. They just made it, a, I want to say it's a law or a rule or something, that you can't just have one guinea pig because they are social animals. So you can't mm. just have one. You need to have at least two. Oh, that's so nice. I thought so, too. Well, it should be a law that you could only have one hedgehog because apparently they don't like anyone else except themselves. <laughs> but dealing with Henry these last three years has made me realize I can't project my needs and expectations onto anyone else. You know, right. being, being alone in a cage by myself year after year, that would be solitary confinement. That would be hell for me. I need people. And I think it's important to realize that we are social animals. So even if you are in a time where you're alone and you want to be alone or you're alone and you don't want to be alone, just try to put, you know, almost like an expiration date on that. You know, like I'm going to give myself this time, either a year or three years, whatever feels right to you to heal, to learn who I am, to figure out what the heck I want before I throw myself onto someone else. But do give yourself that deadline date because I think we are social people. And I'm not talking romantic here only. No, but I I also, I want to add in as well, if you've gotten to the place in your life or, or knowing yourself to that point where you realize I need time alone to recharge my batteries or I need my own sacred space or I need time in nature alone away from everyone, that's... It becomes non-negotiable for healthy relationships if that's the way you're wired. I agree. And I, I think it's almost selfish to not honor that. Right. Like, in, isn't it an, a, an AA or NA or both where they say do not get into a romantic relationship for at least a year after your sobriety? Yes. Because you're just, you're not ready. And I, I think that's a good rule. And I think it should be applied really to anyone coming out of any traumatic thing, whether it's a a divorce, a breakup, or rehab, or death. Like, I I think it's the Jewish people and many of the Native Americans have that rule as well. After you've lost someone, do not make any major decisions for one year. And I think that's a good rule. We need to give ourselves time to heal from loss, from traumatic change. And I don't think we give 
a lot of changes in our life, the word trauma, that some of them are needed, like losing a job, especially later in life. Like if you're in your late 40s or late 50s and suddenly you're laid off, that's traumatic. Mm -hmm. And we need to give ourselves time to heal from that. Uh, losing a friend, having a friend just suddenly drop off or ghost you or move across the country, that's a loss. Losing a pet, huge loss. I don't, I don't think that we as a society or culture, at least here in America, we don't give each other the time and space needed to process some of the losses that we're experiencing. So I definitely agree with you, Denise. I just think I've encountered a lot of people in my work recently who have just entered this resignation, like, oh, well, this is, this is what it's going to be. And I, I just, unless you've taken like vows of celibacy, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's always true. And I have seen wonderful examples to support my belief. Yeah, but it all ties back to being able to ask for what you need and honor that for yourself and not just to settle because you're lonely or because you think, oh, everyone else is, is getting married and having children or everyone else. I did a reading yesterday for a young woman and she's, she's been through a lot, a lot of trauma, a lot of, and it came up and she said, I need to figure out me before I figure out the rest of this stuff. And I, I was just so excited for her. Because she said, I can't, because all my friends are getting married, they're having babies, they're doing this. And she said, I don't feel like I'm ready for that because I have to get through. She'd been through a lot of traumatic stuff in the past several years. That's taking care of you to yes. realize I'm not ready for that yet. And that's emotional maturity. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. And again, I don't mean that even romantically. Like, no. When my father-in-law lost his wife 12 years ago, we all knew he wasn't going to go back out into the dating world. And he's a very handsome man. And he definitely had interest. The church ladies definitely were bringing over casseroles. Mm -hmm. But we knew it, he's, that's just him. He's just a very old-fashioned, that was my love, I'm done. But he started joining all these groups at church. And every day he goes out and does... You know, he's either with the Knights of Columbus or he's on the finance committee and he's counting the envelopes from Sunday before. He's always out doing something, engaging with society and has developed really good friends. He still golfs, all of that stuff. And so I think that's what I'm saying is just don't, don't go through a loss, especially this holiday season and think, well, I'm just going to be alone. Right, I don't right. think we need to accept that in any area of our life. But we also can't just sit sit there and think that our new best friend's going to knock on our door. No. And, you know, and there is a lot of join groups. There is a whole lot of truth to doing for someone else. If you're feeling lonely is a great way to get out of your head. Yeah. So if you're feeling like I don't have anyone this holiday season or, or you need to do, maybe you need to change things up and switch your rituals, switch your routine, switch your traditions. If that's what you need to do to take care of yourself through this season. When I um, was a writer for the, our city's newspaper, one of the columns I created was Earth Angels. And it was just focused on seniors who were doing really neat stuff in town. And this one woman I interviewed, I'll never forget her. She had been widowed for several years when I met her. And her kids were all on the, other, on the West Coast. And so every other year, she'd go see them. But every other year, she was alone. And she said the first couple of years, she had really big pity parties for herself, you know, like I'm all alone and this is just the way my life is and this really sucks and oh well. 
And then she thought of what you just said, you know, if, if I don't want to be alone, I need to do something about it. And so we actually have an orphanage about 45 minutes from town. It's one of the last remaining orphanages, I think, in the country. I could be wrong, but that's what people have told me. And she decided to drive out there. And every Thanksgiving, she spends the whole day at the orphanage cooking a meal for them. And then on Christmas time, she goes back because she gets to know them that Thanksgiving day. And she goes there a couple of other times throughout the year. And she spends from Thanksgiving to Christmas putting together stockings for each of the kids. Oh, isn't that lovely? That is lovely. That's incredibly lovely. I know. I just think to, to just put yourself outside of yourself, you know, and to focus on someone else who has a need, I think is such a great thing. Although I will say I spent one Thanksgiving by myself and it was blissful. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, my parents decided to go on vacation over Thanksgiving. Okay. And they didn't invite me. <laughs> <laughs> my sisters were married and had their own families. And their whole thing was Thanksgiving with their in-laws and Christmas with us. So my dad sent me a ticket to fly home. And he was like, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'm just going to spend it with my boyfriend's family. And he's like, okay, that's great. So off they go on their vacation well, don't you know, like a week before Thanksgiving, my boyfriend from high school and I had a huge fight. You know how it is when you first go to college. Mm -hmm. You think it's going to work. It doesn't. Huge fight. Broke up over the phone. I didn't want to tell my friends because I knew all my friends would give me the pity invite. Well, you can come over to our house for Thanksgiving. I didn't want that. No. And so I got myself a couple of pints of peanut butter chocolate ice cream from Haagen-Dazs. I sat on the couch. I watched TV all day. It was heavenly. And then all my friends came over and we had a huge party. Fun. I loved it. It was great. So I think sometimes being alone doesn't have to be as awful as you make it. Although, right. do you want to hear something funny that happened following, like a couple of days after Thanksgiving that weekend? Yeah. I'm sitting in that house. We lived in Connecticut. We were way off the main road in the middle of the woods. And my dad had this house built as a contemporary. So it was just like giant windows everywhere and he thought since we lived in the woods we don't really need blinds mm -hmm. i hated that because you just be, i'd be sitting there watching tv and you know it was just blackness outside so i'm sitting there and on the deck off the the family room i hear the crunching of the snow and the wood deck underneath someone's walking on my deck mm -hmm. And I knew if I turned the light on outside, I could see who it was. But I had these images of seeing like some man, you know, with an ax or something. So I literally like turned off the TV, crawled on the floor to the phone, called 911. Oh. <laughs> the cops arrived like two minutes later because they were hanging out at the fire department a couple blocks away. They were so nice. They were like, Miss, come outside. Let me show you what is um, stalking you. And it was a family of deer. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And they were so kind. They were like, look, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's dead out there. We are hanging out at the fire department two streets away. This gave us something to do. Don't worry about it. They were so nice. But I felt really, really bad. <laughs> but it is funny. But you know how it is when you're with someone and you hear a noise? It, suddenly you have the courage to go outside. But when you're alone, it's different. It can be, yes. Yeah. Definitely can be. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of stuff on how to take care of ourselves and how to identify what we need, how to ask for what we need. 
again, I think I've said this the last couple shows, I think we're all in a place where we need to be gentle with ourselves right now. And I would like to ask, though, that everyone spend this holiday season writing out your wish list. And sure, if you celebrate Christmas, you can mail it to Santa Claus. Who cares, right? But you can just keep it for yourself, too. But I think to, to spend this month as we start to close out 2019 really thinking about, gosh, if I could have anything, and I don't mean things either necessarily, just anything um, in terms of a new job or a new relationship or those boots you've been craving, you, from the shallow to the spiritual, write it all down. I think that's a great way to start to think about what do I really, really want. It is, and it's good practice because it's never too late. It is never too late. So if, even if you're older or you've been in situations where you weren't able to ask for what you needed or wanted or to take care of yourself in that way, there's no reason you can't start doing it now. So since your strongest love language was words of affirmation, and believe it or not, Denise, that was my second strongest. And I think your second was acts of service, right? It was. Yes. We're right there together. All right. So since words of affirmation are so important to us, if you guys have enjoyed this show, we sure would appreciate it if you would leave a review for us on iTunes because it just helps other people to find us. Now that iTunes is throwing spirituality shows in with religion shows, it's just harder for people to find our show because you've got Joel Olstein and Oprah and all sorts of big shows popping up instead of ours. So if you have a moment to leave us a review, that really does help us a lot so that we can continue to grow our community of enlightened empaths. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Thank you for sharing the love with us. We really appreciate you all, and we hope you have a wonderful, happy week. And a safe holiday season. Take care.